Good morning, it's great to see you this morning. John and David are good friends. And one day, David was helping John in his garage doing some repairs on John's car. John is a Christian, and he asked David, do you go to church? David explains, well, yes, I used to go to Mass, but I haven't been in years. So John and David start talking about, uh, about church, about the differences between John's church and David's church, being a Catholic church. The differences, however, centred around Protestants have pastors, Catholics have priests. Catholics baptise babies, whereas John's church doesn't. They don't really talk about real theological differences. They don't speak about sin and grace. John doesn't speak of Jesus. And as they finish up fixing the car, David says to John, well, it's not really what you believe that matters. It's just that you have faith. John knows that that's not right. But he doesn't say anything because he doesn't want to offend or he's not sure really what to say. I wonder this morning, can you relate to that story? Not about fixing cars. Most of us probably can't. There are one or two amongst us who are very good at that. But about talking around the church, talking around other things that are not central to, to our belief. How often does God give us opportunity to share Christ and yet we miss it and then consequently walk away feeling guilty? I remember some years ago when I was travelling to Heathrow to catch a flight to Uganda. Sitting next to me was a middle-aged woman and we were talking about where we were going and I was saying I was going to Uganda because I was going to a Bible school there. Um, And she understood then that I was a Christian as a result of this. And she said to me, well, being a Christian, it's all about doing good, isn't it? It's all about doing good. Now, I had the advantage that she would be sitting next to me for at least another hour. Um, So we continued talking, and sometime later, you see, I wanted to confront that, but I didn't want to just say, no, it's not. (laughs) You know, didn't think that would be wise. And so I was talking, we're talking generally, talking about being a pastor, and I said, you know, one of my greatest challenges, and it is true, this, one of my greatest challenges as a pastor is that people will come to me and say that being a Christian is all about how you behave. Have you noticed that in your place of work or college or wherever you may be, you do something that's not quite right and somebody says to you, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a Christian. What's that mean? It means that that. They think being a Christian is how you behave. And I said to her, it's not about how you behave. It's who you believe in. I had that opportunity. I don't think it would have been wise to immediately turn to her, but I knew I had the opportunity. And she couldn't get out. She was on the inside as well. So, so she, she wasn't getting away. And, the, and, the, and the, the coach was packed. I believe in every opportunity we need to be wise in the sharing of the gospel and talking about Jesus. And Proverbs says that he that wins souls is wise. And last week we heard, uh, in chapter 3, we heard about the message and the miracle. And this week we're going to look into chapter 4 and see the effect of that miracle and the message. And the title of the message this morning is Assist Me to Proclaim. Um, I got this title from uh, the song we sang at the end of 
last week. So I had another title for, already prepared a title for this week. But we sang over a thousand tongues to sing. I just sing over one to be able to sing. But over a thousand, and assist me to proclaim. And that's what I want us to think about as we turn to the book of Acts. So would you turn now in your Bible to Acts chapter 4. Before we read, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 22, but I want to remind us, because I think it's so important, I think we'll keep going through this as we walk through Acts, that Acts is the historical record of the early church. It's the historical record. It is not normative. It's not placed there for us to copy in, in its entirety. Just, I mean, you'll be glad of that because if you don't bring your tithes, you won't finish up like Ananias and Sapphira, um, who finished up on the floor dead. So there, and, and we don't, we don't output elders in by, by casting lots. It's not normative. And we shouldn't read it that way, thinking that what happened in the book of Acts is what should be happening in our church today. But we can understand that we can learn principles that we can embrace in 2023 Bristol. You see, if we fail to understand this, we can be so discouraged and even disappointed in a local church. Why aren't we seeing in our church all the things that took place here in Acts? It's an historical record. Now, there's some things. We, we obviously want to see people saved and healed and all that sort of thing. But, but not seeing it as being normative in the way we see in the book of Acts. Because if we don't see those things, we can become discouraged and disappointed in our church. So having said that, let's look at Acts chapter 4. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 22. Following on from what we heard from Thomas last week, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexandra, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Referring to the healing of the cripple. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and God raised from the dead, by him, this man standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, 
They were astonished. And they recognised that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Here we see the first, the first mention, the first um, recorded persecution of the church. And as we move through Acts, we'll now see that we'll see more of persecution. You know, the reading of this, uh, this passage and speaking of perse- persecution is not necessarily a strong advert for preaching Jesus, but it's what took place here in the early church. And in Acts 3 and 4, we read of two men who had the courage to share the gospel in the face of opposition. Imagine the scene. Imagine the scene there in the temple courts that Peter and John have been involved in the healing of this crippled man for 40 years. Everybody would have known. They'd have gone into the temple courts. They'd have seen this man. They know about him. So many people who witnessed this healing, and it caused quite a stir. A large crowd had gathered, and Peter and John preached Christ, his person, his death and resurrection. And amongst the crowd was the captain of the temple guard, the priests and the Sadducees, who the Sadducees in particular objected to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. And so they threw them in jail. See, the issue for the Sadducees, who were the ruling class of the wealthy aristocrats, who in fact made up most of the Sanhedrin, they taught against the resurrection of the dead. And they were no longer, they were not looking for a Messiah. And so obviously in the apostles' teaching, these two beliefs were being contended. Jesus being the Son of God, the Messiah, and the truth of his resurrection. And they were brought before the Sanhedrin. And as I said, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees dominated the Sanhedrin. And imagine, imagine a, a, a semicircular uh, group of people, lots of people, Peter and James, standing in the midst and having to answer to these people. And here, in the midst of great blessing, a cripple healed, 2,000 added to the church. We're not sure whether that's uh, 2,000 added to the previous 3,000, but even if it was, you know, now the church in a few days had become 5,000, it was 5% of the city. It was pretty big. It had a major effect. And right in the midst of all this blessing and God's healing this cripple through the apostles, 2,000 added to the church. Right at this time is our first recorded act of persecution. 
And the question now was, were the apostles going to fold under pressure or flee as they did on the night Jesus was arrested? But no, we see a very different reaction. There was a newfound boldness. And this boldness was not found in themselves. It's not because they, they said, pull our socks up, guys. We've got, to, we've got to be stronger about our preaching of Jesus. But no, they found a boldness through the work of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I just have two points. Firstly, the gospel offends. And secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers. The gospel offends. When we preach Jesus, when we preach Christ, we can expect there may be some persecution. We mustn't be surprised when people are offended by the gospel. From this chapter on, the Acts of the Apostles will reveal that the, the lordship of Christ and the values of the kingdom are dramatically opposed to the values and the thinking of this world. We need to recognize that. Own that. It's not the same. And Peter and John, when they were brought before the rulers and elders and the high priests, were asked the question, by what power, what name did you heal this crippled man? And Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, told them that this healing was in the name of Jesus. I'm just amazed as I read this. He doesn't just say it's in the name of Jesus. And then dared to say to them, it's this Jesus who you crucified. Can you imagine them? Imagine Peter and James, all these people around. They're being asked by what name? Well, it's in the name of Jesus. But it's that, that person that you crucified. Pointing to them, probably. But it, that's, that, was, that was bold, I would suggest. But Peter didn't just stop there. He made sure that these men, the, this Sanhedrin, heard the gospel. This Jesus... The stone you rejected has now become the cornerstone of the building of his church. And that there is salvation in no one else other by the name by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus. And I thought it was interesting because Peter didn't answer. He didn't come and, and, and answer and start talking to them about uh, uh, about how the church was growing. You know what? Well, you were you, confronting us, but the church is growing. We've got 5,000 people now. You know, we had, we had an incredible experience on the day of Pentecost. It was amazing. Sound of rushing wind. and I mean, it was, it was incredible. We had this experience. He didn't do that. He preached Christ. To my regret, when I was younger... In my sharing, in my witnessing, if you like, I would talk more about the church we were in. You know, the church I was in, it's a modern church. It's not like some of the old-fashioned churches. It was, it was modern. We have lots of young people. We, we have about 18 people in our band. And, 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 and it's not like you would expect. Tell them about things that had happened. I needed to tell them more about Jesus. And that's to my regret. And there will always be one of two reactions when we preach the gospel. And here, Pastor Luke, because Luke was a pastor, he wants to prepare us for this because he says this is normal Christianity. And we will experience opposition. 
But don't be surprised that sometimes it can get quite aggressive. I mean, in other lands, it could cost you your life. Doesn't in this, in our country at this this time anyway. But often we mustn't misread the strength of the opposition, because sometimes when people, not all the time, but sometimes when people are really aggressive to you and opposed to you, it's because they feel convicted. I had a friend of mine. He was totally opposed to me, totally opposed to me. I haven't got time to go into all the details. But now he is a leader in the church. But he was totally, it was aggressive almost. Um, so don't be surprised because God can be working on somebody. And at times we will be surprised that the opposition will come in the middle of blessing. People being saved, the sick healed. That can happen. And we are, we are blessed. We are blessed as a church. Thank God for you all this morning. But in Luke 20, verses 17 to 18, we see that when Jesus preached, they opposed him. Let's, let's look at Luke 20. This is what Jesus said. Uh, verses uh, 17. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone, again, repeating what Peter talks about on the day of Pente- uh, uh, the, the, the trial, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is repeated again. In Romans 9, verse 33, and in 1 Peter 2, verse 8, Jesus, uh, Peter here says that Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. Now, you mustn't confuse being offensive and being a rock of offence. And sharing the gospel, we're not to be offensive. But the gospel itself will offend because of the demands that the gospel makes on our lives. The independence that we like to live toward, live in, we're now submitted to Jesus Christ. He is not just our Saviour, but he is our Lord. And the message we preach and proclaim will be offensive to some, but salvation to others. There will be people that we will preach the gospel to that will be saved. We could be confident of that. We have, many of us probably on our television screens this week have have just witnessed the intolerance that has been shown to this MSP who says she's a Christian. We live in an intolerant, so-called tolerant society until we start talking about Jesus. Until we start talking about the demands he makes on our lives. But even though the Sanhedrin were offended, they were also astonished at Peter and John's defence. They saw the apostles and our dedicated and common men. Peter and John were commanded not to speak about Jesus. And then we see again the courage of these men as they basically told the council that we're going to do what is right in the sight of God and not by you, not by man. And so often we can find ourselves confronted with the same situation. Stop preaching Christ, stop sharing the gospel or suffer the consequences. 
And that can be in our schools. That can be in our universities. It can be in our workplaces. Stop preaching Jesus. Now, we haven't got time, but there needs to be, again, wisdom of when. But what's going to be our reaction? What's our reaction when we are confronted with stop preaching Jesus? Jesus said in John 15, verse 18, that we will be persecuted for preaching the gospel. Jesus didn't say, you know what? You might. You might be in situations, some stage in your life where you're going to be persecuted. He didn't say might. He said you will. You will be persecuted. And persecution can come in many, many different forms. Maybe you've experienced persecution. Maybe, perhaps, and perhaps you haven't um, experienced persecution. The question maybe to ask is, have I preached Jesus? Have I talked about Jesus or have I just again done what I've done in the past? Talked about the church. You know, our church is a wonderful church. We've got great people there. The, 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 the effect we have on one another and the family feel, loads of young people. We have brilliant musicians at the front. We even serve tea and coffee, which you don't get in some churches. We, we, we do all that. And you, you finish up preaching and teaching about, but not telling them about Jesus. It's when we tell people about Jesus, people can become offended. See, it doesn't necessarily, when you talk about the church, that doesn't necessarily offend. But when I preach Christ, it will produce a reaction. And can I just remind us all here again, I don't know whether some of you remember years ago, Andy Passon came and preached, preached to us. I think it's one of the finest messages I heard on on the evangelism, but it's, 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 we are not all called to be evangelists this morning. We're not all evangelists, but we all are witnesses. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Christ's ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors, not, not, not Grace Church ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. And it's in the everyday situations of life that we can not only reveal by our lives, our trust in Christ, but also tell those we share life with why. Why we're trusting in Jesus. Use the everyday situations. Often there's so many opportunities. You know it. You know it yourself. You've only got to get into a conversation about COVID, the world situation, Ukraine, it's not difficult to turn the conversation, but I fail so, so often. I just say, so if you feel that, well, I join with you. It's our role to point people to Jesus, to tell them of their need of a saviour. It's only the Holy Spirit who can bring conviction. Remember, we are not their saviours but we are the Saviour's mouthpiece. Which brings me to our second point, the Holy Spirit empowers. We turn back now to Acts 4. Oh, I've taken my too, too early. Acts 4, 23 to, 40, uh, to 31. When they were released, 
They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our holy father David, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against you, your, your holy servant whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. Verse 8, earlier we saw that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. We see here they were, the church's response to what had taken place, it prayed. And when Peter spoke, filled with the Holy Spirit, this was a fulfilment of Christ's promise. Christ promised at his ascension. We read in Acts 1 verse 8. And in Luke 24 verse 49, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Jesus says, that power will be with you and in you so that you may be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First of all, in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit first came upon the disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. And we will see in our further studies of Acts the inauguration of the coming of the Holy Spirit throughout the world. And it is as a result of the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in the life of Peter that explains the boldness and the clarity of this uneducated man in preaching Christ. We live in a world that doesn't know Jesus, sadly, other than his name being used as a profanity. They do not know that Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate, that came to meet their needs as their saviour, died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins and then raised from the grave. And sharing Christ with people can be a scary thing. We can become fearful of rejection, fearful loss of friendships or even persecution. And Jesus himself understood this fear when he speaks to his disciples in John 14. John 14 is the upper room discourse and, 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 and Jesus was, was preparing his disciples for his departure. And they were fearful and they had many questions. And in verse um, 14, uh, I haven't written it down. In, it's in chapter 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you. He was, of course, here referring to the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, Even the Spirit whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, 
for he dwells with you and will be in you. And that dwelling within is that fulfillment again of Jeremiah 31, 31, that we will all know the Lord. No longer a man teaches neighbor. We sang last week the song uh, Raised with Christ. There's a line in there that really affects me every time we say, the king of heaven is alive in us. The king of heaven is alive in you. He's alive in me. What an incredible thought. Stop and think about that. The king of heaven is alive in us. Incredible. Think on that. He says, Jesus says, he will give us another helper. But, you know, he wasn't saying something different. You know, if I, if I eat one of um, um, uh, Liz's coffee cakes and I say, can I have another one? Okay, which I'm not allowed, but even to eat the first one. But I say, I want to eat another one. I mean another coffee cake. But I could mean, I've had a coffee cake, can I have another? Can I have that cream bun? The another, when Jesus said, I will send you another, he's not saying another person. He's not saying another, like it's another cake. He's saying the same. It is the helper that has been with Jesus. It is the Spirit of God that has dwelt within Christ that he's going to send. You know him. You've experienced him through my presence. After Jesus was seeing some examples this, after Jesus was attempt, attempted, Jesus, Luke tells us that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. In fact, it says also he went out in the Spirit. At Jesus' baptism by John the, the Baptist, the Spirit defend, descends on Jesus like a dove. So in effect, he's saying, guys, I'm going away, but don't worry. I'll be with you in spirit. It's the same spirit that's in me. It's the same spirit that's in me. You know, sometimes we might say to somebody, uh, like the wedding yesterday, I'll be with you in spirit. I'm just thinking about you. I'm not actually there. That's not what Jesus sang. I am with you. The Holy Spirit that's dwelt in me. And now in my going, I will ask the Father to send that same spirit to be with you. And although, again, we haven't got time this morning, there's a broad work of the Holy Spirit. The emphasis here in the Great Commission, here and in the Great Commission, was power to be witnesses. And as we step out in faith to witness, the Holy Spirit will empower us by giving us the words to speak and the boldness to speak them. How often have you had that situation where you've gone into a situation where you don't know really what you're going to say, but just seems that God just gives you the words to say? and the boldness to speak. The person's salvation is not dependent upon how well you shared. You know, don't walk away, you shared the gospel, and you might think, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't preach it like um, Martin Lloyd-Jones or whoever your, your, uh, your hero in the faith is. It doesn't depend on that. Not how well you've shared. It's with you, when you do share Christ, it allows the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to their hearts. 
So returning to Acts 4, we see that when the apostles were released, they joined the others and they recounted Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm foretelling the world's opposition to the coming Messiah. In their prayer, they declared God's sovereignty over kings and lords, the rulers of the earth. And when they pray for boldness, not just that we be bold Christians, not for themselves, but for the preaching of the word. And it's interesting to know, I wonder what you'd you'd have been, if you were there, would you be praying, which I think probably I would, Lord, protect me in the persecution. (laughs) Remove the persecution. They didn't pray that. They didn't pray for protection. There, from persecution, instead, with confidence in God's sovereignty, they prayed for boldness. Boldness to speak and proclaim the word of God. And God wonderfully answers their prayer. It says in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Kent Hughes writes, When the apostles were confronted by their enemies, they responded with amazing confidence, daring aggressiveness and no compromise. Why? Because they've been with Jesus. Practically, what does that mean for us? When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, Christ becomes the focus of our lives. The Holy Spirit does not promote himself. He promotes Christ. Verse 13 said, Kent Hughes said, because, they, because they've been with Jesus. They responded with confidence, aggressiveness and no compromise. And John 13, the, the council, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, un, uh, that were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they had been with Jesus. May it be said of us as we share the gospel. May it be said of us there is a difference. You may not realise it's because we've been with Jesus but it's because we've been with Jesus. And Peter's message on the day of Pentecost was repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus and you will. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, if you've repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you have been baptised in water, then this promise is for you. It's for you. No exceptions. Galatians 3 verse 14 tells us that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, us, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit or the promised Spirit through faith. When people charge us to stop proclaiming Jesus, our response should be like these men who told the authorities that they would rather do what God says, whatever the consequences may be, and do what is right in the sight of God. The Holy Spirit is a deposit that guarantees our inheritance. He is our helper. He dwells within us. And when we step out in faith, he will assist us to proclaim. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the deposit that guarantees our inheritance. 
But Lord, we want to be filled up with Christ. Your spirit filling our lives so that we may become more like Christ. Father, help us to be disciplined in the means of grace that would help us to reflect change. The reading of your word, the communion with you in prayer, the fellowship with one another, hearing your word. Lord, may we use all these means of grace. May we be disciplined to use them. Would help us to see change in our lives. May the world see the effect of us being with Christ. And may us be humble. Help us to be humble and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But Lord, not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name be glory. Amen.